All right, if you've got a Bible with you uh, this morning, Acts uh, 21 is where we are picking it up. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will be on the uh, screens and you can follow along that way. So this morning, we're actually uh, wrapping up our series in the book of Acts. We've spent um, over 30 weeks total walking through this book, and I was personally kind of sad that we are coming to the end of the book of Acts today. I, I was sad and kind of disappointed. It's like the end of an era, kind of. Um, but this week, my amazing, beautiful wife, she was like, uh, hey, babe. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she said, uh, my small group was wondering, when are we going to be done with the book of Acts? And I'm like, dang, that's really, really offensive because I've been enjoying it. But to answer the question today, congratulations, today we are done with the book of Acts. And I don't know if you should applaud for that. That's weird. That's strange. But either way, we are done with it today. So again, we've, we've kind of been taking our time. We've been walking slowly through the book of Acts. And so it's kind of odd today, we're actually going to kind of condense the last eight chapters of the book and kind of do a flyover of the, <coughs> excuse me, of the last eight chapters today in one week. And the reason we are doing that is not because my wife's small group was apparently ready to be done with Acts. That's not why. Um, the reason we are combining these last eight chapters is because the final eight chapters is Luke basically telling one kind of long story about Paul. And so instead of kind of splitting up that one story into multiple weeks, we're just going to kind of do a flyover, look at the highlights of this one long story about Paul. But this story we're going to see in chapters 21 through 28, it's really set up in something that Paul said in chapter 20 that we looked at last week. So in chapter 20, if you weren't here last week, Paul um, calls for the elders, the pastors of this church he started in a city called Ephesus to come and meet with him. It's going to be the last time that Paul ever sees them, and he kind of gives them this farewell speech. And in the middle of this farewell speech in Acts 20, verse 22, Paul says this. He says, now I am bound by the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He says, now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me there. Right? Paul says, hey guys, the, the Holy Spirit is compelling me. He says, God is calling me. God is storing in my spirit that I need to head to Jerusalem. Now, here's why that was significant for Paul. It's because by this point in his story, the, um, this band of kind of Jewish religious leaders were trying to have Paul killed. They were actively trying to murder Paul. And Jerusalem is basically the center of power for these Jewish religious leaders. So Jerusalem is a very dangerous place for Paul to go. Paul going to Jerusalem, it would be like if you had a warrant out for your arrest in Louisiana, what are you going to do? Like you're going to stay away from Louisiana. You're not going to go anywhere near there, are you? That's how it is for Paul. Jerusalem is a dangerous place. It's not a safe place at all. That's why he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem, but I don't know what awaits me. But he says, it's God that's calling me. God is compelling me to go, so I must go. So then in 21, chapter 21, Paul starts on this journey. He starts heading to Jerusalem. On the way there, he stops to visit some more friends. And this is what we see. He's kind of hanging out at a friend's house in chapter 21, verse 10. And this is what happens. He's still on his way to Jerusalem, but it says this. It says, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own hands and feet with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the local believers begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. 
I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And Luke says, when it was clear we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. So again, Paul is visiting these friends on the way to Jerusalem, and this friend receives this prophetic word from God. The friend says, hey, God has shown me, Paul, that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be bound and tied up, and you're going to be turned over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to stand trial in a Roman court. And so all of Paul's friends, they do what any of us would do, right? They try to talk some sense into their friend. They say, Paul, why in the world are you going to Jerusalem? They're like, we already knew it was sketchy for you to go there, but now this guy has received a word from the Lord. Now it's not just like our opinion that you going to Jerusalem is dangerous. Now, like God has even said, God has confirmed, if you go there, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be turned over and you will stand trial. They're like, Paul, do not do this. And, and Paul says here, he says, hey, I'm, I'm not only ready to go to jail for Jesus, I'm ready to die for Jesus. He says, I have to go. And again, the reason Paul is so fixated, he's so focused on getting to Jerusalem is because remember the chapter before, he said, it's the Holy Spirit of God that is compelling me to go. Right? Paul's perspective here, he's like, guys, I'm not going to Jerusalem on a business trip. I'm not going because, like, I miss the local food scene there. I'm not going to, you know, catch a game with some buddies that we haven't hung out with in a couple years. Paul's like, I'm going because God told me to go. So his perspective is, regardless of the consequences, that is irrelevant. Whatever happens is going to happen, but I must go because it's God that is calling me to go, and I must obey him. And spoiler alert, what we're going to see over the course of the next couple chapters is that that prophecy does come true. When Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be handed over for trial. And so in that, I think we learn a really important truth that I want us to think about before we move on. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down so you can remember. But what we see here through Paul is that a faithful life does not necessarily mean you will have an easy life. This is so important to remember. Living a faithful life, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an easy life. Like I think a lot of the times the way that we tend to kind of look at our lives and the way we tend to assess, like am I doing the right things, am I not doing the right things, is we tend to ask, well, are things going well? Are things good and are things easy? And we assume, well, if I'm doing the right things, if I'm being faithful, if I'm in the center of God's will for my life, then that must mean that things are going to be easy and I'm going to be good and everything's going to be great. And on the flip side of that, if things are difficult, if things are hard right now, that must mean I'm not in the center of God's will. But again, what we see through Paul is that that is not necessarily always true. God's will for Paul meant to go to Jerusalem where he would suffer. For Paul, faithfulness meant suffering. So faithfulness to God is always good. Faithfulness to God, it's always right, but faithfulness may not always be easy. And so, so we need to remember that, that true faith, the genuine faith, is not just trusting God. It's, it's also trusting God when you don't like what he's telling you. Right? And you've been there, right? I know I've been there. Like, let's be honest. We can be honest about that. Sometimes God will tell us things like, I don't really like that. 
But true faith is trusting even when we don't like what God is saying. True faith is trusting God even when you know it's going to be difficult to do what he tells you to do. True faith is trusting God even when you know it's not going to produce the temporary outcome that you want that thing to produce. Right? And Paul's reminding us of this. He knows that by being obedient, he knows it's going to lead to hardship, it's going to lead to difficulty, it's going to lead to suffering. But he says, that's irrelevant. God has called me, so I must go. I must obey. So we'll kind of condense the next couple chapters real quick. What happens is Paul gets to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And in the temple, this, this group of people who are out to get him, they see that he's there. And so they form this literal mob. The mob job drags Paul out of the temple. And the mob literally begins trying to beat Paul to death. Right outside the temple, in the middle of the city, Paul is being beaten to death. Now, here's one thing you need to remember about the Roman Empire in this day. It's that the Roman Empire, above almost everything else, they valued peace. Right? Remember, the Pax Romana, it means Roman peace. So, so Rome's highest value was peace, which is ironic because they purchased their peace with the blood and the sword. All right, so it's kind of a, a, you know, ironic sort of peace. However, once Rome conquered a land, and they had conquered Israel, but once they conquered a land, they wanted peace in that land at all costs, right? And so this violent vigilante mob beating a man to death in the middle of a city, that's not good for Rome. So all these Roman soldiers, they hear what's going on, they rush to the scene, they pull Paul out of the mob before he is beaten to death, and they arrest him, and they try to figure out what in the world is going on and what are they going to do with him. And as they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with him, they plan to transport him to another part of the city, but they get word that this mob is now kind of in hiding. The mob is waiting for Paul to be transported, and when he's transported, they're going to attack the transport and finish the job and kill Paul. So the, the Roman soldiers, they hear about this, so they decide to send Paul out of the city, and they send him to stand trial before this governor named Felix. So Paul appears before Felix. He stands trial. Um, Felix knows that Paul hasn't done anything wrong. He listens to the case. He hears all the facts on both sides, and he knows Paul's in the right. Paul hasn't done anything. He knows this is kind of this weird local dispute. However, Felix, he's a crooked politician, so he's hoping that Paul will bribe him. He's waiting for Paul to kind of slide him some cash under the table so he will release Paul, but Paul never does it. Paul refuses to give him a bribe. And so Felix forgets about Paul, and for the next two years, Paul sits in prison forgotten about. Right, for the next two years, Paul's not beaten. Paul's not actively persecuted. For two years, he is simply forgotten about. Which, I don't know about you, but in some ways, I think that may be even more difficult than being beaten and actively persecuted. He's just forgotten about, like he doesn't matter for two years. So two years goes by, Felix either retires or he's kind of given a new assignment. And so this new governor, a guy named Festus, ends up coming to town. And when Festus takes over the rule of this area, some of the Jewish leaders, they come from Jerusalem to meet with him, and they say, hey, Festus, um, by the way, you've got this prisoner named Paul. He, he's down in your prison. And they say, hey, why don't you release him? Why don't you send him back to Jerusalem so he can stand trial before his own people? Again, their purpose in this was so that they could kind of jump him and kill Paul on the way back to Jerusalem. 
So Festus says, yeah, that's none of my business. That sounds like a good idea. So, so Festus brings Paul in. He says, Paul, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem. And Paul knows what the outcome of that would be. He's smart enough to understand what's going on. So Paul then says, well, if you're going to do that, I appeal to Caesar. Now, here's the thing. Paul was a Roman citizen, and so as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal his case to Caesar. This would have been kind of like appealing your case to the Supreme Court. But here's the scary thing in this day with appealing to Caesar. Once you appeal to Caesar, you can't go back on it. And whatever Caesar decides about your case, that's the final decision. Whether his judgment is right or wrong, there's no debating it, and you have to live with Caesar's judgment. And if you know history, you know that most of these Caesars, most of these emperors were not like level-headed guys like, hey, let me hear the facts and decide what's just. These were mostly crazy, maniacal dictators who like your life was hanging in the balance of how good or bad of a day they were having on that particular day. I said, this is kind of a scary thing, but, but, but Festus gets ready to declare that Paul must return to Jerusalem in and, and what I kind of envisioned to be this kind of tense, dramatic courtroom scene. Like, if you saw a few good men, you know, the, I, you can't handle the truth scene. Like, I envision it like that. Everything's tense and dramatic. Festus, like, my ruling is to send you back to Jerusalem. And Paul stands up and he says, I appeal to Caesar. And so at that point, it's out of Festus's hand. He says, okay, so be it. What happens, they put Paul on a boat, they ship him off to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And if you think, okay, well, this must be where things start to look up for Paul, you would be wrong. On the way to Rome, a storm comes out on the sea. The boat that they're in falls apart. They are shipwrecked. They swim to an island. And even then, once they get to the island safely, Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake. Um, he Somehow, he miraculously survives that. But then, finally, three months later, the, another boat comes and takes them to Rome. So finally, after all this time, Paul arrives in Rome. So let's jump forward to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 16, Paul finally arrives in Rome, and this is what Luke records. He says, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. So Paul, he, he gets to Rome, he's awaiting his appeal before Caesar, and he's essentially under house arrest here. They don't put him in jail. They don't put him in a prison. They allow him to find his kind of own lodging, but he's not allowed to leave that lodging, and there's a Roman soldier there guarding him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All right, so just rewind real quick. This is how the last few years have gone for Paul. He gets to Jerusalem, and he's beaten within an inch of his life by a violent mob. He's put on trial. And then after that trial, he doesn't even receive a verdict of either innocent or guilty. He's simply put in a prison cell and forgotten about for two years. And then after two years of waiting, he appeals to Caesar. He's put on a boat. That boat is shipwrecked, swims to an island, bitten by a poisonous snake. And now he finally arrives to Rome, and he is under house arrest 24-7. Right, so what I do, I read all this, and, and I kind of I look at Paul's circumstances, and I'm like, man... Poor Paul, right? Like this, this is a rough go. This guy has been through it. Like I'm thinking Paul must be miserable. He must be depressed. He must be feeling down. Like this is awful. But here's the crazy thing. During this time, during this time in Rome, after having gone through all that, while he is on house arrest and cannot leave, he's not even free. During that he writes this letter to one of the churches that he started years earlier. 
It's a letter we have in the New Testament called Philippians. And in this letter, in the middle of this difficult, dark season of his life, Paul says some crazy stuff. He says things like, hey, even now I have joy. Even in the midst of this, I am rejoicing. And he says, I'm going to continue to have joy. I'm going to continue to rejoice in the middle of even these circumstances. And I want to read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, because in it we learn and we see why Paul was able to maintain his joy even in these dark circumstances that he was walking through. So this is what he writes. And again, remember, he's writing this in the middle of that season. This is what he says. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, so I want you to know the beating by the mob, the arrest, the sitting in a jail cell for two years, the shipwreck, being bit by a snake, even now being under house arrest. That's the things he's talking about. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that all of that, everything that has happened to me, has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the entire palace guard, knows that I am in chains for Christ. Right, so if you remember last week in verse, or in chapter 20, Paul made this statement where he said, my life is worth nothing, or my life doesn't even matter if I'm not spending it telling others the wonderful news about God. See, for Paul, the objective of his life was to join God on God's mission of saving and reconciling sinners to himself. So Paul's life was built around proclaiming that wonderful news of reconciliation back to God. And so what Paul is saying here is saying, hey, yeah, this situation I'm in, it's not ideal. Things have not gone how I maybe hoped they would go. He's like, I've, I've got a soldier chained to me 24-7, but he says, you know what? You better believe that every time those soldiers have a shift change, that new one hears about the good news of Jesus offered to him. All right, see, what, what we are seeing here, this is, this is so important. So if you're kind of checked out, lean in real quick. This is so important for those of us who are followers of Jesus. What we're seeing here is that when we join God in his mission of seeing people brought into his family, when we're doing that, when our life is about joining God on his mission, the Great Commission, when our life is about that, then we will be able to find joy in any circumstance because in any circumstance, we can always tell people about the love and grace of God. Like if the purpose of our life is all about joining God on his mission, then whatever we walk through, we can always have that purpose fulfilled. We can always tell people the good news of Jesus. Hey, let me just be honest with you, because I think probably a lot of us are in the boat I'm in. And personally, I struggle with this. I, I have a hard time with doing this. For me, when things are not going well, and for me, when my external circumstances don't necessarily look how I want them to look, when that's happening, I personally have a really hard time keeping that eternal perspective. I have a really hard time keeping the mission of God and my part in it at the forefront of my mind and life. I tend to forget about that and just focus on my situation and my circumstances. But what Paul is showing us here, that, that one of the keys to maintaining joy, even in difficult circumstances, is remembering the mission that God has called us to. Well, like, here's the deal. 
if my car breaks down on 45 during rush hour, man, I'd, like, I'm not going to be a happy person, right? I'm going to be pretty upset. I'm going to be pretty miserable. I'm going to be pretty woe is me. But go back. Bring up that verse in Philippians real quick if we still got it. I think if, if Paul were living today, right, and he was in that situation, and Paul broke down on 45 in the middle of Russia, I think what Paul would say is, hey, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that my car breaking down on 45 in rush hour has actually helped me to spread the good news because God sent me a tow truck driver who needed some encouragement, and I was able to tell them about the love and grace of God. Right? That's Paul's perspective of life. That's not my perspective, man. I struggle with that. I want to be more like that, but I have a hard time doing it. But, but that's Paul's attitude. That's his perspective. Like, man, if, if I was diagnosed with cancer, man, I'll just be transparent. I'm going to have a hard time having joy in the middle of that. But I think if it was Paul, again, his perspective would be, hey, I, want, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, that this diagnosis has helped me spread the good news because I was able to tell my oncologist about the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, like, that's how Paul is living his life. That's his attitude. And so he is showing us that when our lives are built not around, you know, the American dream or whatever our hopes and dreams may be, it's fine to have those hopes and dreams. It's fine to have, you know, kind of a picture of, you know, what you want your business to do or your career, all that. that like, that's all well and good. But what Paul is showing is that when above all of that, we have the mission of God, when the mission of God is primary in our lives, then and only then will we be able to find joy in any situation. Because in any situation, we can participate in that mission. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the book of Acts as we wrap it up. The book of Acts, it's not merely a history lesson. It is historical, and it is telling us some history. But Luke, the author here, he doesn't write Acts as a history book. Acts is not meant to just be history. Acts is actually meant to be an invitation for us to join with the Holy Spirit in the mission of God, which again is the Great Commission. I want us to read how Luke, the author here, how he ends the book of Acts. So chapter 28, verse 30, this is how he ends. And this is the conclusion of the book. Luke writes, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. So Luke, and by the way, like Luke is a brilliant author, so he's doing this on purpose. But Luke ends the book on a bit of a cliffhanger. Right, because the entire second half of the book of Acts has been about Paul spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, and then the final eight chapters of the book, the last eight chapters, like 25% of the entire book has zeroed in and focused in on Paul's journey to Jerusalem and his arrest and his trial and him going and standing trial before Caesar, but, but Luke ends the book without telling us the outcome of that trial. Right, do you catch that? He doesn't even tell us what happens to Paul. Like, he doesn't address if Paul was convicted or if he was acquitted. He doesn't tell us if Paul was freed or whether he remained in jail. He doesn't tell us whether Paul lived or whether he was executed. And listen, it's not because Luke didn't know. 
Luke was there the whole time. Luke knew. The reason is because Luke never wrote the book of Acts about Paul. He wrote the book of Acts about the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. And the reason Paul has played such a prominent role in the book is because Luke is showing us this example of Paul dedicating his life to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But Luke doesn't end the book by ultimately telling us what happens to Paul. He ends the book with this open invitation. And that invitation is asking us, hey, will you, like Paul, will you be faithful in your life? of doing whatever you can do to take the gospel to the world. That's the invitation of Acts. Will you join God in his mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? So what's so beautiful about this book is that, in a way, the book of Acts is still being written. Still being written today. It never ends. Luke doesn't give a conclusion because it's still going on today. Because today the gospel is still going forward Churches are still being birthed. Sinners are still being saved. And the Holy Spirit is still moving in this world. And through his power, through the Holy Spirit's power, when we rise up to tell others the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection, we are being invited into the story. We are being invited to continue the work that began in the book of Acts. That's why the church exists today, to continue everything that we've read in this amazing book. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue worshiping.